Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. for helping us worship today and honor the Lord in song today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 2 here in in a moment. I want to uh, give you a little bit of review as we started last week in 2 Peter. We learned that the theme of 2 Peter is how to bear truth to be true to the Word of God in trying times. 1 Peter is about bearing testimony in tough times, in trying times. 2 Peter speaks of how we can be true to the doctrines of the faith, the Word of God, during these troubling times, to stay pure in our convictions and our beliefs and not waver or compromise. And last week, And quickly review, we saw in verse 1, three different couplets. Remember Simon Peter, two names. Uh, We saw servant apostle. And then we saw them and us. And from them, those couplets, we gleaned that a foundation for staying true to the Word of God and standing on the firm foundation of the doctrine taught in Scripture We learned you must be a growing Christian, you must be a going Christian, and you must be a grounded Christian. And you can go back and view those messages on our live stream or YouTube, and they'll be on the new website. But now in our text today, beginning with verse 2, we find that not only do you need to be a growing Christian, or a going Christian, or a grounded Christian, but you need to be, if you're going to stand for truth in trying times, you must be a genuine Christian. The real deal. Are you the real deal? Are you fabricated? Are you of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? When it's time to state and stand for your convictions, for the doctrines of the Word of God, the things you say amen to here, Are you going to be able to stand true out there? These are the marks of a genuine Christian. And I want to give you three marks of a genuine Christian here in verses 2 through 4. So I invite you to read with me. Peter writes, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life 
and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us by glory and virtue, whereby we are given or are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Within those phrases and words of these verses, these wonderful introductory remarks of Peter's letter, I find the marks of a genuine Christian. How do you know you're the real deal? How do you know you're genuine in your saving faith? Well, he gives us three. Before I begin, I want to encourage you, though, if you struggle with doubting your salvation and you, you don't have assurance, that does not mean that you do not have it. And I want to encourage you to come back next week and the week after and the week after. Because in those three weeks, Lord willing, and the bayou don't rise or the creek doesn't rise, uh, I know what that means. Um, we are going to deal with one of the greatest, most encouraging, educational, and edifying texts on assurance of salvation that's in the Word of God. I mean, they're all over the place. The assurance, doctrine of assurance is all over the Scriptures. But I mean, Peter, in this second epistle, he really gets down to it. Looking at Peter's life, don't you think that he needed to have a firm foundation in terms of assurance? I mean, he denied the Lord three times. And he needed assurance. You deny him once and you, you don't know if you're saved or not. Well, you come back for the next three weeks and we're going to deal with that wonderful text on the assurance of salvation. And I, I want to tell you how I know it will be a blessing to you. Not because I'm preaching it, but because when I wrote those sermons in my study at home where my study is, I want to tell you, I had to get up and walk around and shout a little bit. All right? And... Uh, Maybe that'll do that to you too. But let's look at the marks of a genuine Christian. Mark number one. The first mark is sanctification. We see that in verse two. When a person becomes a Christian, God basically does two things. He declares and he does. He first of all declares you justified. That's Romans chapter five. Did you know the moment you were saved, the moment Jesus entered your heart, and the moment He forgave your sin and indwelt you with the Holy Spirit, redeemed you, reconciled you, all of those wonderful, wonderful theological terms that describe our salvation before a holy God. Did you know He justified you? Justification is not what God does. It's something that God says. It's a declaration. And He declares you just as if you've never sinned. That's what God says. That's how powerful His blood is. 
That's how gracious his work of salvation is. He declares and does. That's one reason why Peter in our second Peter and our first Peter letters talks about how precious our faith is. How precious it is. But so God declares. But we're not talking about the declaration today. You've got to wait till we get into Romans 5 in about 20 more years. But we're going to talk about what God does. Not only does He declare something, He does something. God does a work in you. And it's highlighted in verse 2. He does a work in you. He sanctifies you. Now, sanctification is a two-fold work. It is done, and it is being done. In other words, the moment you were saved, not only did He declare you just as if you had never sinned before His eyes and the way He looks at you, but He set you apart. He set you apart from the world unto Himself. That's a done deal. But also he began a process in you of building you up in the faith, of strengthening you, of bringing you about, of what Romans 8 says, conforming you to the image of Jesus. So sanctification is the process of becoming a growing Christian becoming a going Christian, and becoming a grounded Christian, and it is walking in the faith, living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and you grow in the Lord. From the moment He set you apart, you began realizing that in your growth in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So sanctification is an ongoing work. It is the continuing work of the Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of Jesus. Let me read this uh, verse to you from Romans 8. We all quote it, and we need to realize what he's talking about. He's talking about that process by which God conforms you and makes you more like Jesus every day. When does sanctification finish? When you're exactly like Jesus. When's that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen when you're in the ground down or when you're in the air up, one or the other. All right? But listen to this. Paul says, and we know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Now take note of something interesting. Even that phase of our salvation glorified is written in past tense. God is so certain and so sure that when He begins a good work in you that He will finish it 
that he talks about the last part when you're glorified as being already done. You ever talk to somebody and say, I really need you to do this, and they say, done. Well, what they're telling you is, is I mean business, and I'm going to get the job done. You can count on it. That's it. All right? Well, God says you can count on it, and that's God. That's God saying you can count on it. That's not your CPA saying he'll file your taxes on time. You can trust that, but I double check. Amen? (laughs) But God says it's done. Take note of this also. Salvation is threefold. There's the past. That day you were saved. For me, it was March 1st of 1971. From that day on, I was declared by God Almighty as just as if I've never sinned. You say, well, preacher, you have sinned. I sure have. How do you know? Well, you know me. Well, but God says, I see the blood and it's past. But salvation is also present. It's growth in Christ, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Every Christian is predestined. There's no other destiny for you but to be conformed to the image of Jesus if you're saved. Now that's going to shake the timbers in a little bit when we get to it, so hold on. And then there's the promised, them that are glorified. Such a sure thing, it's written as if it's already done. This truth challenges some thinking about salvation today that you ask Jesus into your heart and then all is well between you and God and he has finished once he has forgiven your sin not so he continues to work in you when you were saved that moment you were delivered and saved from the penalty of sin One day when you're glorified, you will be saved from the presence of sin. But right now you are being sanctified. If you're a genuine Christian, you are being sanctified. And you are being saved from the power of sin in your life. And you don't have one without the other. I think we need to be very careful when we present the plan of salvation. And tell people, oh, you ask Jesus into your heart, and that's it. No, we need to tell people what the Bible says. When you get saved, God begins a work in you, and you are predestined to be conformed to His image, and the first thing you need to do is be obedient by believer's baptism. And then you need to grow in the Lord. But if you don't have one, you don't have the other. Folks, listen. If you don't have the present work of Christ in your life right now, It may very well be, and it is, because you don't have the past work of Christ in your life, and you won't have the future work of Christ in your life. John Newton, the great theologian, said, Never, ever base your assurance of salvation on something you did in the past. Rather, base it upon the present and ongoing work of Christ in your life. That's what 1 John is all about. Now, folks, can I get an amen because I know that's something you might not have ever heard before. Because we've simplified and we've tried to make the gospel cute and appealing. But I want to tell you what, it changes your life. It changes your attitude. 
It changes the way you look at things. It changes your desires. You cannot be indwelt by the God who spoke everything that is in existence and not be changed. Amen. Oh, that's good preaching, but i got to move on. This is not only taught as pure doctrine in Romans 8 and in many other areas of Scripture. But it's right here in verse 2. Look what he says. Grace and peace be multiplied. Grace and peace be multiplied. Now, if all he said was grace and peace, I would have said he's talking about being born again, that moment you're saved. Did you know when you were saved, you were saved by grace and you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He no longer, you're no longer at enmity against Him. You're no longer somebody who's under His wrath because that moment you were born again, when Christ saved you, you were reconciled to Him in Christ Jesus, and you have peace with God. But He's not talking about a past event. He's talking about the continuing process of a genuine Christian being sanctified. Notice what he says. He does not say grace and peace. He says grace and peace be multiplied. Because, Brother Cole, the grace and peace that he gives to justify you and save you is said and done. It doesn't need to be multiplied. Jesus paid it all, all to him. Oh, there's nothing else for him to do to get you out of darkness into light. But he says grace and peace be multiplied. And this is sanctifying grace and peace that is not added, but it is multiplied. That's the times tables. All right? It is multiplied. It is increasing the grace and peace of justification. Don't multiply. It's once and always. But the grace and peace of sanctification is growing and developing being conformed, conforming you to the image of Jesus now. And how does it do? How does it happen? Look what he says. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of God, through, in, by, or with, through the knowledge of God and our Savior. The word knowledge here is a very strong term. Very strong form of a basic word. It means precise, correct, thorough knowledge. It has a note of intimacy. Something that the Holy Spirit puts in you. And you grow thereby. It is that desire to know the things of God. It's that desire that every Christian has within them to be attracted to the Word of God. Amen. When I was in college, first thing I did was arrive on campus. I went down to the religion department, and I signed up to preach everywhere. Nursing home, uh, Section 8 housing, projects, everywhere. And I did. Supply preach here and there, and I... I'd drive out on Sunday morning to Podunk Number 9 Baptist Church and preach to five people. 
And I noticed there was a lot of other preacher boys who didn't want to go preach in the nursing homes. And they didn't want to go preach to the podunk number nines. And they didn't want to go preach in other places. I can remember I had a real close preacher friend who, who is uh, in the Georgia Baptist Convention now. And we, we'd go preach anywhere and everywhere we could. And uh, some of those other guys wouldn't, wouldn't go. Well, when I was a sophomore, God gave me a church. He blessed my faithfulness and gave me a church to pastor. I was a sophomore in college. Pastor, can you imagine your pastor being a sophomore in college? I mean, the word sophomore means Sophia wisdom, moron, moros. And when you're a sophomore, you are somewhere between being a wise person and being a moron. And you fluctuate back and forth. Well, that was that pastor in East Texas. That was me. Our pastor's very wise. That's correct. Our pastor's a moron. That's also correct. <laughs> Amen. Can you imagine that? But I'd have to get up early to go preach. And I want to tell you what I started doing. Now, folks, don't get, don't, well, you're going to think ill of me. That's okay. I've grown a lot in the Lord. I'm more, I'm, I'm conformed more to the image of Christ than I was back then. So I wouldn't do this today. But I, I'd leave the dorm room before I got an apartment. I'd leave the dorm room, and those guys would still be in there sleeping. They weren't even going to church. And I'd bang on their door, wake up, it's Sunday. Go somewhere and preach somewhere. And I'd go down the hall like this. I don't, I don't know why I told you that story except to say this. When God puts something in you, you have a desire to do it. You have a desire to do it. And when God puts his spirit in you, the same spirit that inspired the word of God and wrote the word of God, you have a desire. You may squelch it. You may ignore it. You may push it back. But I want to tell you that desire is in you as a genuine Christian being sanctified to go to the word of God and gain intimate knowledge about him and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I question the salvation based upon the word of God of anybody who will tell me they're a Christian, but they don't desire to know this book. And I say that on the authority of 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm telling you, sanctification. The point is, if you're going to bear His truth in trying times and stay true to Christ, you will have and you are now yielding to the Holy Spirit who draws your attention to the Word of God. To know Him more, education, experiencing the Lord Jesus Christ. His grace and peace is multiplied to you and in you by a knowledge, an intimate, precise knowledge that He drives you to by being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now folks, that's biblical preaching, whether you think it or not. The second... Mark of a genuine Christian, according to Peter, is sufficiency. The genuine believer is not only growing in the knowledge of God, but he's also trusting in the sufficiency of Christ, not only to save, but to keep saved. But to keep saved. I never could understand how somebody could tell you, Jesus has power to save me, but he doesn't have power to keep me saved. I don't understand that. Let me tell you something. The day before I got saved, the minute before I got saved, 
I was a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. Ephesians chapter 2 tells me that the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself, worked in me. That's what Ephesians 2 says. And, a, and I was also a kingdom of darkness. I was on the road to hell. If I died, I'd have gone to hell. And Jesus came and wooed me to himself by his Holy Spirit. And I came to the Lord and was born again. He saved me. It took a lot of power to move me from darkness to light. It took a lot of power to kick the devil, the demons of hell out of my heart and to put his Holy Spirit in my heart. It took a lot of power to make me a citizen of the kingdom of God and make me one of his children. It takes more power to save you than it does to keep you saved. And so I believe because of what the Bible says that he keeps you safe. And here it is in our text. We believe in the sufficiency of Christ. We believe in the sufficiency of his word. And we believe in the sufficiency of his work. This is the doctrine that needs to be emphasized in these days because we live in a prevalent time of lack of discernment among the people of God. It is all through the word of God that Jesus is sufficient to save and keep you saved. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Just, just listen to this wonderful text of Scripture. And God is able. You believe that? God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That's an exact quote from the Word of God. Notice the word all sufficiency. All things. Oh, listen to 2 Timothy 1.12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, Paul says, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able, he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul tells us Jesus is sufficient to save you and keep you saved. A genuine Christian believes in the sufficiency of Jesus once he hears it. You believe he was sufficient to save you. He was. Well, folks, he's also sufficient to keep you saved. And Peter gives us three things here about the sufficiency of Christ. Let me give them to you. Number one is his power. By his power. According as his divine power. We get our word dynamite from this Greek word translated power here. Dynamite blows up things. It blows things up. And the power of God just blows up. He has inherent power to save us. And inherent power to sanctify us. See, you're not saved according to your power. Uh, you're saved according to His power. You are not staying saved because of your power. You're staying saved because of His power. Wherefore, He is able, dunamis, power, dynamite, also to save them to the uttermost. Don't misquote this Hebrews 7.25 and say to save them to the guttermost. First of all, it doesn't make sense. 
He can save people out of the guttermost. Everybody who's saved comes out of the guttermost in terms of God's righteousness and our sin. But here he says he is saving us not from the uttermost or the guttermost, but to the uttermost. Now, if you were to ask a kid, how big is that? Well, that's the mostest. Well, here, Paul says he is able and has the power to save us to the uttermostest. That's eternity. He keeps us safe. That come unto God by Him, seeing He ever lives to make intercession for Him. Let me tell you the day that Christ will be insufficient to keep you saved, and that's the day He dies again. But He ever lives. He ever lives to make intercession for you. Now unto Him, Paul says in Ephesians 3, Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask to think according to the dunamis, the power that works in us, that sanctifying power. There it is again. So he has power. He's sufficient because of his power. Second of all, Peter mentions his provision. By this inherent power, he has given us all things that pertain to life. The Greek word there, life, is the Greek word zohe, and it means spiritual life, his life. And not only life, but godliness, worship, and obedience. So I want you to read that close. Look at it. According as his divine power has already said and done, given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You have everything you need, everything God has for you. You got, you got it the moment you were saved. God has already given it to you. The ability, His indwelling to live and do as He wills. You don't need any special revelation. You don't need a second dose. You don't need another Pentecost. You don't need an extra word. You have it already. Everything you need to live for Jesus and get to heaven, he's already given you. Let me, let me ask you, let me put this in perspective. You ever heard somebody say, boy, he's more spiritual than me. Well, that's, a, that, that, that's silly. Because I want to tell you what, I was saved when I was six years old. Can you believe that? I was six years old when I was saved. God convicted me. I remember sitting in the pew. An evangelist by the name of Homer Martinez was preaching. It was a Monday night down there in South Texas. And uh, it was March, so it was about 103 degrees outside. But I was sitting in church next to my mama and daddy. And God sent his spirit to convict me of sin. And the word of God took form in my heart and I gave my life to the Lord and Jesus and he gave me his life. He gave me his life. I've seen six-year-old kids saved. I've seen eight-year-old kids saved. I've seen them nine. I think the oldest one I ever saw saved was an 88-year-old man. And I want to tell you, there's only one of them. 
The older you get, the harder it is. The easier it is to resist the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, I want to tell you, whether you're 6, 16, 26, 36, or 60, when you get saved, you're, only, you're just as spiritual as you'll ever be. You'll never be any more spiritual. You might be yielded more. You will grow. But positional-wise, in terms of what God provides for you, you are as spiritual as you'll ever be. Isn't that wonderful? And I want to tell you what, when you got saved, you, everything you need to live a godly life and honor the Lord, you have it. You have His indwelling. You have His Spirit. You have this ambition to know God's Word. You have a gift, a spiritual gift. Everything God has, He has for you. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to have eternal life. You got it when you were saved. See, eternal life is not simply living forever with God. Eternal life is His life in you. It's a quality of life. And He provides that for you the moment you're saved. And it's part of His sufficiency. Isn't it wonderful you don't get it in doses? If we got it in doses, you know what? I'd forget to go to the pharmacy. Amen? Huh? I'd forget to take the medicine. But God gives it to you. Let me just, can I just put it in a little, little uh, country boy vernacular? Ain't no need for a booster. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. That's a joke for all you that get upset about that. That's a joke. Calm down. I won't tell you ain't no need for a booster. You got it all in Jesus. He's sufficient. Do you believe that today? He's sufficient. And then the third thing about the sufficiency of Christ is his person. The genuine Christian trusts the sufficiency of his person. Look what it says. Now, if you're reading a King James Bible, one word's going to be different. And it, in my reading, it says, through the, through the knowledge of him that hath called us by glory and virtue. Many translations translate that as to glory and virtue. Well, that's not necessarily a wrong translation because this word can mean many things. To, by, it's a, it's a preposition, and it can mean by, to, and context determines how you translate it. Well, it is better given in translation or context to be translated as by or with. And so, really, it reads, through the knowledge of Him, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and what he's saying there is all the provision that you have in Christ, everything, you, you've got to learn that. You've got to know how to appropriate that. That's what he's saying. That's part of sanctification. That's why you come to church. That's why you study the Bible. That's why you have a mentor, a discipler. That's why you disciple. So the people of God who are saved can know what God's put in them. And he says, through the knowledge of him that hath called us by glory and virtue, namely his glory and virtue. Let me, let me, let me share this with you now. Listen to this. See, our salvation is all about Him. When the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ, when He drew you to Christ to save you, He showed you your sin, but He also showed you His splendor. He showed you His glory and His virtue. Let me give you an illustration. 
In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's getting, getting close to, to going on. He's, he's about to die, and his son's not married. And so he calls in his best servant, his lead servant, and he says to his servant, I don't want my son Isaac marrying any of these girls around here. So I want you to go to, to, to our people, his mama's people. And I want you to find him a bride amongst his mama's people. Now, the servant goes, and, and Abraham loads him up. Coal, jewels, and, 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 and uh, dime. I mean, just I imagine the guy's carrying millions of dollars worth of jewels and gems and all kinds of rubies with him. He's just carrying it along. And he goes to a well, and make a long story short, he meets Rebecca. Remember that? He goes to Rebecca's home, and uh, he, he tells uh, Rebecca's brother Laban, hey, uh, my servant would like to have Rebecca to be his son's wife. Now, folks, don't get bent out of shape. That's how they did it back then. And if you're a mama and daddy, you wish we could do it that way now. Amen? I mean, really. And so uh, he says, uh, go on and go. And he gives him some jewels and all that. Well, can you imagine that journey back to where Abraham and Isaac are? This young lady is leaving everything she's ever known, all the comforts of home, everything. And on the way, I imagine she gets a little discouraged. I don't know if we should go. And that servant pulls out a big old fat diamond and says, Look at the glory and virtue of my master. This will all be yours if you continue to follow. Amen? And she gets a little bit light. And then on down the road, she goes, I wish I should have wore something else. You ever had that experience, guys? You know? And he pulls out some beautiful garment. He says, look here, my master has a whole wardrobe full of this beautiful dresses like this here and all of these things, and they're yours if you just come to my master. See, that servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And when he saved you, what God did was is he showed you that you're a sinner by comparing you to the splendor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you were brought to him by seeing his glory and virtue, his beauty. We just sang a song that talks about this. Did you hear it? Did you read it on the screen? Did you sing it? This, this, listen to this line. Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness, opened my eyes. Let me see. Here it is. Beauty that made this heart adore you. We just sang it. See, we don't sing unbiblical songs here at First Baptist Church. We sing Bible songs here at First Baptist Church. Amen. There's no hoochie-coochie songs here. I promise you that much. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. That's the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ, His person. His glory and His virtue, His moral excellence. He called us unto Himself by His glory. Next week, we're going to see that He calls us to those virtues 
but he called us first by those virtues. Sanctification is calling us to those virtues. And we'll get into that next week. But the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that we don't keep ourselves saved because he keeps us saved? Isn't it a glorious thing? A wonderful thing that it's his power that keeps us saved. It's his commitment to us. Your salvation is not based upon your word. It's not based upon a covenant between you and him. Your salvation is founded upon a covenant made between him and his word. He keeps you saved. And then we come now to the third mark of a genuine Christian. A genuine Christian is one who is being sanctified, growing in the Lord. A genuine Christian is one who knows and is trusting and learning of the sufficiency of Christ from the knowledge of the Word of God. And thirdly, security. You will not stand for truth when trials come unless you are secure in your salvation. And here are three elements of the security of your salvation. Now, folks, listen, there's a lot of wonderful Christian people who struggle with the security of the believer. Once saved, always saved, we Baptists like to say. And I just want to affirm to you right now, and I, I don't have the time to develop this doctrine, so we're going to stay with what 2 Peter chapter 1 says. But I want to tell you something. Uh, if you have been once saved, you're always saved. But you've got to be always saved. You, you've got to know that Jesus has saved you. And, and, and you know He can keep you saved. But let me just give you some elements of the security you have in Christ Jesus. First of all, the promises. He says here, exceedingly great and precious promises. Peter likes that word precious. The promises are so because they are His promises. And he holds them in the highest esteem. Matter of fact, when Jesus, when God makes a promise in his word, which he has to keep us saved and give us eternal life, he's going to honor that. Because I want to tell you something. David wrote to us in the Psalms that God honors his word above his name. Above his name. And so God's going to keep his promises. The security of our salvation given to you by God is not rested in your keeping your commitment, but it's rested in Him keeping His. The second thing is, as He says, part of your security is that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. That you might be, that you might be. That is not a statement of a condition. That is a statement of purpose. The purpose God for which God has promised you is that you might be a partaker. You will be. You, you, it's a statement of purpose. It's purpose for you. The word partake is that Greek word koinonia. You've all heard it. Fellowship. Fellowship with Him. Partnership. Sharers. The Christian life is God giving you His life. You being a partaker of His life. Not that you become God. That's heresy. But you share his nature, the new nature. And that's what, that's what gives you that ambition to grow. That's what 
drives you to the Word of God as a Christian. That's why when you got saved and you were genuinely saved, you, you kind of had a, you were kind of repulsed by the old life. And, and you wanted to, to advance forward in your Christian walk. The Holy Spirit puts, puts that in you. There's none of this, oh, hallelujah, he said the prayer, signed the card, went through the water, and he saved, hallelujah. He, he hadn't shown one drop of fruit in 20 years, but uh, no, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is God putting it in you, His new nature in you. You're a partaker of His nature. And you begin to like what He likes and love what He loves. That's why John could say in his first epistle, Brethren, if you don't love the church, you're none of His. Because He loved the church. See? You got His new nature. And then the third thing about this security is proof. Because you are a partaker of His nature... You have escaped corruption that is in the world. That's a reference to decomposition. Because of the new nature, you have escaped the effects of sin now and in the future. The genuine believer escapes. He flees from, that's what that word means, the appetites of the old sin nature. The old appetites repulse you. That is one way, one proof that the Holy Spirit resides in you. You have this Hatred for the sinful flesh and what the flesh wants to do. God directs you away from it. Do you have that? I, I, I heard a sermon where recently I listened to a lot of preaching and I heard a sermon where this gentleman, young man, wrote a letter to this Bible preacher. And I, I wish I'd found it and copied it and brought it to you to read to you, but he says, please pray for me. I struggle with the assurance of my salvation because the things that I don't want to do are always hounding me and sometimes I yield and I am miserable and I am, I, I am just distraught and I have a strong desire but also I have this pull in the other direction. And the preacher wrote him back and he said, Sounds like Paul in Romans 7. That's very much proof you are a Christian. Now let's talk about building that pull up. Let's talk about that sanctification. And see, that's the mark of a genuine Christian. Well, I preached too long today, but I want to ask you something. Are you the real deal? Are you the real deal? Are you sanctified and being sanctified? If you are sanctified, you're going to be being sanctified. Are you trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus or are you trying to throw in something else? Are you secure in Christ? Are you secure in Christ? This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.